Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you may be. My name is Alfredo, and you are now tuned in to the Climate Frontline podcast. In this show, I have the opportunity to engage with industry leaders, as well as artists and community leaders or organizers across all different sectors and fields. And I do this really to have conversations that change the narrative around climate change and and who drives that narrative by centering those communities who are closer to those issues or those folks who are at the front line of climate change. And I do this one conversation at a time. Our community does this one conversation at a time. And today I'm just excited to speak with Victoria Mena here in her house. Thank you for welcoming me into the space and, and welcome to the show, Vicky. Hi, how are you? Thank you so much for uh, having me on here. And you are always welcome at the space. Um, but uh, I do want to acknowledge that this space, um, this is from uh, the Puyallup tribe and the Coast Salish. And so welcoming you here into this land, into my house. I am so happy to have you here. Yeah. Thank you, Vicky. And yeah, I'd be curious to know, what, what is your favorite food or snack? To get us started. <laughs> okay. To get us started, um, my favorite foods are constantly changing. Uh, right now, I've gotten into Korean barbecue. That's been a, a big one. Um, and uh, sushi is kind of an all-around favorite. And tacos. So a little bit of everything. Yeah. I also know you love plants. You have so many plants around your house, <laughs> which is amazing, <laughs> I think. I do. I do. I love them. I have like found my, uh, my green thumb somewhere. I don't know. And because it's like, there's a bunch of them like in water propagating too. It's like, I don't even have to do anything. They just are there with the, with the the land, the waters. Okay. So, uh, Victoria, I'm I'm curious to know, could you share with the audience a little bit of who you are and, and your journey in, in, in life? Sure, sure. Um, So I would consider myself an activist, organizer, above all mom, and not just to plant babies, but to real people. That's cool. uh, Trying to just enjoy this life and also at the same time use every uh, opportunity and every one of my privileges to give back to uh, this world. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. And you know, uh, I, I've been curious to know if, if you could share a little bit of what Colectiva is. What What is Colectiva and what does the organization do in the Seattle greater area? Who does it engage with? Yeah, just would love to hear what that is for you. Absolutely. So I am currently the uh, director of operations at Colectiva Legal de Pueblo, and we are a nonprofit that was born out of seeking justice around immigration uh, issues and providing people with access to uh, legal resources. And so uh, Colectiva provides direct immigration legal services and also uh, organizes with people who have been in detention or, you know, have gone through the different trials and tribulations that are uh, immigration related, status related. And 
yeah, we, we provide as much support as we possibly can to, to get people released from detention and to help, you know, adjust statuses and uh, just give access and information. Yeah, thank you for that. And there are some audience members who tune in outside of the U.S. So for those audience members, will you just share a little bit of what a detention center is? Oh, yeah. So detention center is a very kind way of putting these places. Typically, it's, it's basically like a human warehouse, a warehouse for humans. Here in the Northwest, we have the Northwest Detention Center uh, over here in Tacoma, and it's a big, huge facility. It has space for 1,500 people to be locked away from their families. This one right here is regional, so it's the entire Pacific Northwest. There's only one of them here. Um, and so people go from all over the place to come here and see their family members. They are typically privately ran. About 60% of them are run by corporations. Uh, Geo Group and uh, CCA are the top two, but there are uh, others that just profit off of locking people away and taking away all of their rights and their dignities. Uh, and then also we have jails too here in the U.S. So county jails, uh, immigration and customs enforcement will create pact or a contract with county jails as well. Um, and then there are the few that are actually run by immigration and customs enforcement as well. So basically human warehouses that uh, profit or are ran by our governments Um to just lock people away and with no idea of when they'll get out. So they just wait for their wait for their court to go through while they're in detention. And sometimes people just, uh, they're just deported and, and don't get a chance to go through court. So they're really horrible places. Yeah. I, I remember an image I saw at one point of, that, that really put perspective to this because it showed the it showed uniforms of people who who were imprisoned as means of how many prisons were built that year and then it showed a uniform of a graduate uh, who who you know belongs to a university and the number of prisons that were being built that year compared to a university were, was just like a stark comparison right and that really hit home with me to to these issues right and it's it's interesting to have this conversation here because i don't think many people associate the state of washington or the seattle area as a place where immigration may be uh issue that's at the forefront simply because it's not close to the u.s mexico border you know so yeah i'm curious to know if you're in this space and, and you engage with folks who are being detained, their families, their communities, strategic planning so that you can leverage your to, to build power and, and close some of these detention centers, there's there's a lot of stakeholders that you're communicating with there. So I'm curious to know how, how do you experience language with with all these folks? So yeah, so uh, you know, going back to the other part of of uh, jails over schools, I I I think that that's one of the things for me that's kind of brought me into this world even more is just seeing that seeing that realities. So in Adelanto, California, where I um, was 
I spent some of my teenage younger years and then I came back uh, about 12 years later and saw that the jail beds were really the only increase in the entire city, that there was uh, a stop on the high school that was already built. They weren't going to let people in because they were over budget, but they finished construction on the jail and that was way over budget. It was like 20, you know, 20 times more over budget than, than the school. Um, so seeing how the, the schools have been deprioritized has been a, a big piece of, um, of interest for me. And then here in the Pacific Northwest, I think one of the interesting things is that, yeah, there's um, like this kind of consideration that, you know, everything's progressive up here and uh, we're all good with this. And so I think when folks realize that there is a detention center here uh, in Tacoma in the Northwest, they, they really question it like, oh, what? So many uh, people that I've met here don't know that, you know, we're neighbors to the Northwest Detention Center, that there's the potential that 1,500 people would be, you know, locked up there. Uh, it's in the middle of a port. No one, no one can tell the difference between the detention center and, uh, you know, the next factory or warehouse that's there. Right. It's just a, a spot where they can hide people away. Um, so I think that finding these things out and becoming aware of them is huge. And then the next part is like, what do you do about it? How do you take in that information and share it? And how do you take in that information and work to, you know, make it a, a, a better picture, a better uh, reality for folks? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And I think where my head goes next is, as you know, I'm really passionate about environmental issues, right? I have my story I've shared with you about my journey in Peru, the things that happened there, as well as here, right? In, in Turtle Island, you look at Oakland, you look at parts of D.C. It, it's everywhere, environmental issues. And so I'm curious to know, given what you've shared with me, where do those issues lie? And is that even something that is mentioned when you do your work every day. I'm just curious to know to what extent are you able to relate to those issues as you move forward in your work? The environmental impacts are constant, right? I think, you know, I work primarily in immigration issues. I also do a lot of, you know, work with uh, women's rights. And I think that ultimately all of those come together. Jails, prisons, incarceration, all of that comes together. Everything has to be focused around the uh, environmental impact as well. Like we can't just say we're going to, you know, abolish all of the prisons. I mean, I want to say that, absolutely. Um, but, uh, and then uh, not talk about like the impact. It has to be the environmental impact has to be just as uh, focused as all of the other issues. They're all together. And I think, you know, uh, going back to the detention center here, it being located on a super fun site, right? We don't know what those health conditions or uh, how that environmental impact is going to play out in people's lives in the future. Although, you know, this country's track record, they don't care. So, you know, this is just one more layer onto it. I mean, I think also when you want to look at like incarceration and beds and stuff like that, when you look at, you know, manufacturing things that just go to people in jails, right? It's a whole uh, system that's been put together along with creating jails and creating cages, basically. Like what else can we create instead that would actually benefit our communities? I think that that's the better question. Absolutely. I, I think, yeah, like... Obviously, there's a piece of the actual real estate and land where these prisons are 
are located and the environmental impact to those. But the larger question is, what are we, what are we as a society, what are we keeping those communities from doing if they were together, right? Whether that's sharing stories, sharing recipes, growing plants, or maybe even just storytelling, right? Because that's knowledge, wisdom, history that's passed down generation after generation. And so if we're keeping these folks separated, then we're breaking those bonds. And to me, that's, I think many folks in the sustainability space may may see that as an issue that's separate, that may be classified as immigration or some other term. But to me, it's very much a climate issue, very much an environment issue. It's very much an economic issue because economy at the end of the day is a word that's broken down to the status of home, the the management of home. So when we, if you're not able to manage your own home because some of your family members are missing, then, then how do you manage that, right? And another thing that also came to my mind is as, as I reflected on what you shared and language is that a lot of folks that immigrate to the States, to the United States will also use the term illegal immigrants, right? But yet when you come here and into the States, then you learn about this term undocumented immigrants too, which I, I think is really interesting because, you know, you try to create conscious here within the United States that you shouldn't use the term illegal immigrants yet there are folks who are coming in and still using that term. So I think language is, is really fascinating to understand, and I'm just using this illegal and undocumented terms to just shine light at the fact that it is pretty pivotal in, in this space and in the work that you do with Colectiva. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think... The impact uh, of folks being separated um, and not just here at the detention center, right? But like this is a, a stop for many that's, you know, back to their country of origin and not necessarily their home, right? And I think that that has such reverberating impact on not just that person, not just their family, but like on you and me and our neighborhood and our communities that we don't get to have them in our in our lives either, you know, and we don't even know what that could have meant or, or the impacts that that could have had. Right. And the whole system is, is rigged and the whole system is, is completely uh, heinous, but uh, going to the, the language piece of it, right. And the undocumented and the illegal uh, words and, and things it's, it's so interesting that you are sharing that piece of it, because I think for me, it's, it's been, uh, yes, uh, you know, get rid of uh, the phrase illegal. And we're going to talk about, um, you know, the real thing is just there's no documentation. So, you know, it's undocumented, right? Um, and I think the term, you know, illegal is, it's just, it's also just so dehumanizing, right? And so I, I think part of that is like reclaiming that narrative, right? Like we're not going to talk, you know, like we're not going to say this anymore. We're going to say that. But then you also look at language um, on the opposite end, right? So before 9-11, you had immigration and naturalization services, mm. right? And then after 9-11, everything got folded into the Department of Homeland Security, mm -hmm. right? So we went from services to security, mm 
-hmm. right? So the assault and language there, right, is also, I think, one of those things. So we have to, you know, really do our best to like deconstruct it and yeah. see, you know, how that, how that works out. And I think, you know, the term illegal here in the U.S., like it has to be out of everybody's vocabulary. I think that that's one of the things that it, uh, I don't want to say makes it okay because it's never okay. But like for some people that are like using this term or whatever, they're, they think that um, there's some legality around that. And they're not seeing the fact that like people come here and contribute and are part of our lives and our community and that that's, you know, something that needs to be encouraged. Um, and so I think, you know, changing that language here, in the U.S. is a good idea, and I think it's something, we, you know, I will always continue to push on, um, but looking at that, you know, in different ways and locations, I think, you know, it's just a really uh, interesting piece. Yeah. So tell me, how, how do we get to a place where there is no detention center here in Tacoma? Mm. Um, we're working on that actively. Yeah, there's, there's not very many people in this detention center. It has capacity, and we've seen it at, you know, 1,500 beds. Um, and now there are, I think, around 200, maybe 150 people. Um, and yesterday we were there, and we at Colectiva, one of our clients was uh, released from detention yesterday. Uh, he'd spent 20 months there after spending a year in sanctuary. Um, and that's how terrible the system is, too, right? Like, this, this, this father who uh he was released he was one of like seven yesterday so we got to celebrate not just him being with his family but you know these other folks also getting access and you know i think right now there's many fronts there's uh in the state level we're pushing a bill to close it down there's already been work done here in tacoma and we're still working on that so i think it, it, it's it's one of those things however it can't be done in a silo um all of them. We have to come together on all of them because if we close this one here, then the you know the next one over in Colorado, right, or in Aurora, is you know where folks from here are going to have to go see their family there, right? So uh, that's not going to work either, <laughs> and we just don't need any of them open. Um, the only reason why they're really opened is because there's profiting happening off of it. All of the things that, you know, folks are, there's other alternatives, but uh, it's just a monetary system with us. So is it then partially movement building and raising consciousness all across the U.S.? Or, it, I mean, it's obviously something really difficult that you can't, like you said, you can't work in silos, right? I'm guessing there's, I mean, I know there's a lot of strategy behind it, right? And a lot of power moves, uh, getting getting a movement built behind it. But is there anything that comes to mind right now in this moment in time that is just a big pain that you just, it's hard to overcome? What What is it that, that is keeping keeping us from from being able to do this here? Is there like something in particular that... Uh, that you can pinpoint to right now that that is not allowing us to shut these things down. I want to go with no. I think we can totally shut these down. And I think that that's the <laughs> that's yes. the mentality that we have to always have, right? Um, I can't remember where it was. I think it was, it was um, there was a judge here that was talking um, about 
like there was they were trying to build a uh, new detention center for kids right juveniles um and this is the county court sorry i'm gonna just take off for a second and that judge was talking about how they couldn't see not having another youth jail and i think that was the big problem right like if a judge can't see that like there's a problem right like my job as an organizer is to organize myself out of a job right? Like, I don't want to do this work forever because I want it to end. And so I think when it comes to shutting down the detention centers, like, absolutely, this is the time. Uh, I think that there has been a huge coalescence of, of organizations, of folks, of grassroots movements that have just taken this on and and um, are working together to make sure that it's not siloed. I think for folks that are just kind of learning about this or hearing about this, just call, call whoever your legislator is uh, on that but then also call call a friend and have a question, have a conversation around it. Call an organization that you um, have heard of and, and, you know, try and try and figure out what that looks like. Go on, you know, uh, when I say call, I actually mean go on websites and stuff, but <laughs> as well. But no, reach out. That's what I'm saying. Reach out and get involved in it. There are things that, you know, people can do with just a voice and a phone call. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I want to dive a little bit into what that means and uh, what it means for youth. Where are some areas where the community can support you and the work you're doing? But before that, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Yeah, so I'm Lorena. I I go by different names. I would say uh, so Lorena, my my name, right? That's uh, how when I uh, introduce myself in the United States, at where I'm living now, Turtle Land. I would call myself Lottie Birth, and there is a translation of my name, Lorena Nascimento, Lottie Lorena Birth Nascimento. Can also go by Jupira da Praia. There is a value that I'm learning back from my ancestrality. Jupiter, it's a cabocla name that is a spirit of the forest. And Jupiter da Praia is the Jupiter from from the ocean. And they have a strong connection with the ocean. And there's something that I miss every day. So I'm a mix of all this personality, uh, bringing some simplicity with me, bringing some spirituality, bring some serious part that I that I bring to my, my work with uh, environmental justice. And yeah, and but I'm also, I can be also funny and, and playful. So that's a little bit of Lorena. That was Lorena Nascimento. You can hear more about her story next week. And now we will go back to the show. Okay, we are here back now with Victoria Mena. Victoria, thank you for joining me again. It's been 
an interesting conversation thus far around language, undocumented, illegal, and many other terms that we're not going to get to cover today. And it's, it's not like we should either, right? It's a journey that everybody needs to start as it relates to understanding not only immigration, I think, but also like who's defining these things, right? And to what extent are are these issues tied to 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 climate change also because there are a bunch of folks who are immigrating countries where there are no water there is no electricity there was a caravan of people from guatemala who were immigrating so immigration is very much a climate issue to me and i'm just curious to know as we pick back up what is it what is when you hear the term climate frontline what does that mean to you Climate frontline is an awesome term. I love it because it, it to me it means power, right? And and like I was talking, like climate justice, environmental impacts, all of that um, is just the you know underlying issue of all of this stuff, right? All of these other uh, you know social, uh, economic, all of these other injustices and uh, and issues. They all environmental and climate uh, is like the core of it, right? So I. I feel that it's like a powerful like under like solid solid term there yeah i like that it, it it gives me a sense of power and i think that's what i'm trying to get at is the fact that so many of these communities who are at the quote-unquote front line have so much wisdom and knowledge and collectiveness you know that i think it's unfair to say like hey they are they are not they don't have that richness. They have a different type of richness that's not just monetary. So I really appreciate your take on, on, on this term because I think it's an opportunity to shape what that term means for, for those folks that are at the, at the front line of climate change. So we, we've been talking about Colectiva and private prisons here in the, in the Seattle greater area. And I, I wanted to just put it back on you to share... What, where, are, where are ways in which we can take action on this? How, how can folks, obviously reading books and having conversations that uh, open up understanding is one place. So I'm curious to know, what can you tell the audience now as they either have first heard of detention centers in the Seattle greater area and so therefore now they're intrigued or they may have already known about it. So what things can they do to better become aware of these issues yeah um so i think for folks to get involved absolutely see what's around you know what's around you a lot of times these places are hidden uh you know it could be the jail contracting out with ice and uh nobody might know there's a lot of really great programs that that do work uh i started a visitation program at the adelanto detention center uh, about eight years ago now, but it allows people to go in and visit uh, with people who would maybe not otherwise have a visitor, pen pals, uh, something like that. So there's there's that. Um, there's accompaniment programs where people can go and be with someone while they get their bio fingerprints or something like that, right? Um, and, and so being, being in community with folks uh, is a big thing. It's very eye-opening and um, and also being actively <laughs> against these systems, right? Like that's another big thing. And so I think that let your voice be heard constantly. Advocate for what's right, always. 
and and I hate to put it all into like politics, right? But like talk with your legislator, the person that's representing you, right? And if they're not, then figure out someone else who will. And I think that uh, together, you know, the community is making this work. We're, we're getting past it and we're going to see an end to this kind of, uh, you know, horrible history that we're putting on right now. But yeah, I just encourage everyone to, to get involved. Um, in, in Washington, I'll, I'll plug also... Um, so Colectiva is the the co-founders of the Washington Immigrant Solidarity Network. Um, we're actually the fiscal sponsors. The day after the 2016 uh, presidential election, uh, the a couple of us at Colectiva, we were only a couple then, uh, sat in a room and cried <laughs> for half the day. And then we're like, what are we going to do about this? And uh, we ended up uh, organizing a statewide meeting to bring uh, advocates and organizers and everybody together here in Washington and uh, birth the Washington Immigrant Solidarity Network. And so if you're in Washington or surrounding, um, look up Wysen, W-A-I-S-N.org, and um, you'll be able to find uh, organizations that help with accompaniment programs, uh, folks like us at Colectiva that uh, provide legal services. There's labor unions that are working with folks. There are countless uh, churches and uh, religious uh, religious uh, faith leaders and communities around the state that work together here, brand new organizations that are popping up everywhere. Um, and so, yeah, I would say get involved. If you can't find somebody or an organization near you, then you are a great place to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And do you do you all do, do you write letters to folks who are inside? I know that was a, that was a thing that I've, I've seen in, uh, in other places and folks who I've spoken with to just build that relationship. Because once you're inside, it gives you something to look forward to. You build a relationship and connection. And some folks even go as far as meeting that person once they get out. So is that something that is practiced through Colectiva? Uh, yeah, so there's um, there there's definitely uh, pen pal programs at the majority of uh, the detention centers that I know of. There is a really special bond that you create whenever you, you write to folks that are in detention. And I mean, just in general, then you write. And then I think, you know, the detention, you know, is um, hopeful and for, for, gives a lot of hope for folks. I've done a lot of writing and I, I've gotten to meet people afterwards. I, I got to meet um, some folks in New York, actually, who are from Ghana that I uh, was writing to in California while I was in Washington. So wow. there's uh, there, there's some uh, places for you. Yeah, I really like the aspect of being able to communicate with someone in that way and and share stories, I think. Yeah, I've learned so much. I'm so grateful um, for for the relationships and, and the trust and everything that has been built. So, yeah. So, Victoria, as we close off uh, uh, the there's there's an emphasis with this show to bring the conversation to youth and make them aware of these issues if they're not aware of them, but also figure out ways in which they can plug in that that is meaningful to them too. Because I think a, lo a lot of youth are subject to to being part of the prison, school-to-prison pipeline, right? Or being part of many other systematic uh, infrastructures that are just there to trap them and, and um, 
be a product of 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 those sadly those those systems that exist in this country so what what is your message to youth as they hear you speak today and they may be they may be faced with these issues right at this moment in time or there may be youth who you know have had the opportunity to graduate from high school and now are getting into college and they're actually really into the environmental piece or the sustainability piece but now they just heard this podcast about immigration detention centers what is your message to these youth as as they walk about through the day and and reflect on some of the narrative that we've been creating today well i think Youth are so powerful, and so I'm so excited to just say, hi, youth, how are you? And, uh, you know, if I can give you any advice at all, you know, um, I wouldn't start there. I would actually just start by saying, like, sorry, yo, <laughs> sorry. Um, you know, we've done, I think, well, I'm going to say uh, for myself, I think I've done a lot to try and, I would say, fix what's been left to me, um, uh, but trying to leave a better situation for you all day by day. I try to do that practice. Um, overall, it doesn't look like it's a great thing, but there's, it, there has been a lot of really good work, movement work, and, and just things that have changed in this country. And, uh, you know, I, I'm excited to see that, especially here, you know, like um, climate front lines um, is also like immigration is also, you know, women's rights, all of these things. And so, um, you know, I, I'm hoping that the youth you know, you all will see, like, there's power in this. And, and really, um, I think some of the powerful uh, pieces that we've seen in history are from youth, right? Black Panther Party, Young Lords. Um, young Lords. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, you know, I, I know that, that youth are our future. We always say that. And I think that it's a lot to lay, lay on the shoulders of youth, right? Um, but I'm really just hoping and hoping that you'll help uh i know it was a i know that you all did not get like the best uh earth i guess <laughs> but it, it's really you know um exciting that that you don't have to like stand for that right like the you get to be the creators of something new right and help to heal this world and um i know it's a lot of responsibility unfortunately we you know i felt it i feel in it But I'm excited to 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 watch the youth come through this, right? I yeah. think new new um, new life into this is reinvigorating the issues, right? We see young activists um, all over the world who are taking stands, right? And that's um, that's really where power is. Yeah. Um, so so it's it's I think my advice or or, or anything is you know uh, life is what we make it, and um, you know I, I'm excited to like do all that we can throughout the day to make it a better place. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the term organizer more uh, with at, le at least it really resonates with me. Well, it resonates with me all the time because I do consider myself to still be an organizer, just may not introduce myself in such way. And you are an organizer, one of the best organizers that I've gotten to work with. So I just want to, to recognize that not only are you organizing your family and your life, but then also you organize all these different movements, right? You ran for office, you went through 2020 and made it through and you're here right now. And for anyone that may be listening, I think 
folks should know that uh, Victoria here is really aware of of movements and leaders who have come through, not only through books like your favorite shelf here in in with uh, Octavia Butler and and those books, but also just folks who may not have even published any books, right? And the stories that come with that. So, Victoria, what is uh, your parting message as as youth uh, listen to this? Because I think you're right. We need new ideas. We need their new energy for them to come in with completely new strategies, everything, right? And a big part of that, at least when I was starting my organizing journey, was also having elders in the community who can shine some light, be there when things get tough, or simply be there to listen, right? Yeah, what, what is your message there for youth as they as you part ways from this conversation? Yeah, I, I mean, I think my message is thank you. Thank you for, um, in advance for all of the things that you're going to work through. And um, I'm excited to watch that process. I'm excited to help that process. When you talk about elders, I hope you're not referring to me specifically, but uh, I'm totally on that track. <laughs> Well, there's just a lot of wisdom that you gain over the years, right? And we all have that journey towards towards that. And no, I wasn't specifically <laughs> referring to you, but there is wisdom that you've had over the years that has nurtured me and nurtured others that I know. So I, I refer to elders because I think there are elders in every community, right? There are folks who are there to support you and to the extent that you can support elders too, uh, some people like to even call them mentors. They like to call them like coaches. I mean, it's language again, right? That can be yeah. shaped one way or another. Elders to me is the word that came to mind simply because there's, it's the closest thing that comes to like mis abuelitos or abuelitas or like, you know, the people in the community who will be keeping an eye on you and being there for you when you need it. And um, I'm not quite sure there's a term for that in, in English. So that's the first word that came to my I, mind. <laughs> I appreciate so much that men mentee, mentor, life accountability person. Um, yeah, I, 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 yeah, that's such a big, um, a big plus for, for relationships. And I see you there and I'm so excited that you're here and that we get to do this and um, just have you as a friend. So yes, um, one of my favorite, favorite quotes uh, or sayings is get comfortable being uncomfortable. Uh-huh. And I feel that that is one of the things I would like to pass on as I, I guess we leave this space for our youth. It's not always comfortable, but you figure it out somehow, right? You just got to work it until it is. And um, at that point, things will change and it will start all over again. <laughs> yeah. What are some ways in which folks can find out more about Colectiva or the work you do? Yeah, so Colectiva Legal de Pueblo is on Facebook. We have a website. You can hit me up on there. You can find me on Facebook. I have a LinkedIn, all of the, uh, the goods there. Um, and yeah, I think my LinkedIn has more of my, I guess, jobs or life work, <laughs> however <laughs> yeah. you want to call it. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being in the show again, Victoria. And 
the information that Victoria is referring to, you'll be able to find on the show notes on the podcast. So thanks so much for being in the show again and welcoming me into your house. It has been a very interesting conversation with you today. And I know we'll continue having these conversations because the, the, the resistance goes on, right? Yeah, yeah, the absolutely. Movement goes on. I, and I thank you. Uh, this is my first podcast, so I thank you for uh, helping me um, get comfortable while I'm comfortable. <laughs> so it's been a pleasure talking with you. I um, thank you, youth, uh, again. I'm so excited, um, and uh, we'll talk very soon. I'm sure. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Bye. I hope you appreciated the conversation that I had with Victoria. She is someone who I really look up to, an organizer that is influencing many different industries as well as struggles for people who are at the front line of climate change. And as an immigrant myself, obviously immigration is an important topic for me. And I'm happy to report that I just found out that the Washington State Senate has actually moved forward a bill to the governor's desk that would ban all private prisons in the state of Washington. So be in the lookout for more news on that front. Again, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Victoria. You have tuned into the Climate Frontline podcast where we change the climate narrative by moving the microphone, by moving the spotlight a little closer to those folks who are at the front line of climate change. You can find us in all major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, as well as Spotify. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Climate Frontline. You can also find us on Twitter at CFL underscore podcast. If you have a question, you have a recommendation or a story to share, feel free to email us at climatefrontlinepodcast at gmail.com. And I'm excited for next week. You'll get to meet Lorena and find out a little bit more of her story. So be sure to tune in for that. Otherwise, I will see you next time. Take care. Peace. <laughs>